welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue his Thursday-Friday message series this month on the tabernacle. Tom will finish speaking on the Holy of Holies today and begin speaking on the holy place. Now the last covering. These are the badger skins. This was the only covering that was exposed to the elements. Actually, though we call them badger skins, we're not actually sure what the animal was that these skins were from. It's very likely that they were the skins from porpoises. Porpoises were in abundance in the River Nile, and the Jewish people would have had no trouble of all at getting these porpoise skins when they left Egypt. The Jewish people would have had no trouble at all to obtain from the Egyptians these porpoise skins. So whether these porpoise skins were badger skins or, I should put it this way, whether these skins were badger skins or porpoise skins, we don't know, but we're going to call them badger skins. But one thing's for sure. They were the only covering that was exposed to the elements, and they were very rugged. They were also... In appearance, drab, plain, dreary, very uninteresting skins. These badger skins, they speak to us of the outward appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. That outward appearance was described to us hundreds of years before he came by the prophet Isaiah. Who said in Isaiah 53, 2, he hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. There's no Arnold Schwarzenegger here. He said he's uh, like uh, not much to look at. Those who saw the Lord Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago saw nothing special. His stature, not imposing. His outward appearance, not impressive. It just looked like common. If you didn't know that that was God come in the flesh, you missed it. Because just like the beauty, all the beauty of the tabernacle was not seen from the outside, only from the inside, same way with him, with the Lord Jesus Christ. Only those who knew him could say the words of John 1.14 about him. The word was made flesh. He dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But all that inward glory, all that inward beauty was not seen from the outside. And all the inward beauty, the glory of the Holy of Holies, was not seen from the outside. And that's just the way it was with the Lord Jesus Christ. You didn't see the beauty from the outside. It was drab looking like badger skins on the outside because all the beauty was on the inside. So the last covering, the one that was seen, the badger skins, if you were a a Canaanite, if you were a Philistine and you were sitting up there on a mountain, you were watching the, 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 the children of Israel, the Jewish people with the tabernacle, they were carrying it and as they were, or they were camped around it. And you looked down and you, and you looked on this, this, this tent where the holy place was with the Holy of Holies. And what did you see? You saw this drab looking skins, plain, dreary, very unnecessary 
and interesting. And if you were a Philistine or a or a Canaanite, you would turn to your 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 companion. You say, "What? They making such a big deal over this tent? It's so drab. It's so plain. We have much more impressive temples to our idols in our lands. It looks so dreary." because the beauty was on the inside. And when they saw the Lord Jesus Christ, they said, isn't this Joseph's son? Don't we know his brothers and his sisters? They walked away from him because that's all they saw. And the badger skins remind us of how many walked away from him because they never got time. They never made the effort to know who he was. Then from within this holy of holies place to the next room, called the holy place, there was a separating veil. It was a beautiful veil. This veil was made of the Egyptian fine twined linen, but many, 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 many layers of this linen. And it was woven. There were so many layers of this linen that this, this actual veil is said to have been the width of a man's fist. It was so, of a man's hand. It was so thick, so strong that it was said that if two teams of oxen were tied together to either side of this veil, that those oxen could not pull apart or tear this veil. And it was beautiful. The veil is made of beautiful linen with woven into this linen were fabrics just like we've seen before, of blue and purple and scarlet. And they had embroidered into the linen cherubim, the guardian, again, of God's special interest. And the word for veil in Hebrew is a word that means a very severe separation, like a valley between two mountains. So this thick veil that separated God from man had a lot of symbolism behind it because it was this thick veil that represented how our sins have separated us between ourselves and God. That's what Isaiah said in Isaiah 59 too. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. That's what this veil was. This thick veil was the symbolism of the separation between us and God. And we could picture ourselves on the outside of the veil and we could picture ourselves crying out, the veil has to be torn. The veil has to be torn. Who is able to tear this veil? We already said that it was so strong that oxen couldn't rip it apart. That's a picture. The veil separating us from God because of our sins has hid our face, has hid his face from us because of our sins. The veil's the separation, like the big valley. And nothing can tear this veil. And it looks hopeless until enter in one Lord Jesus Christ. And because when he died on the cross for man's sins, he cried out in Hebrew, Asa, which means done or finished. And with that cry, his work of atonement was accomplished. And immediately after he cried out, Asa, or done, the veil was torn, not by man, 
but by God. And the veil that we so needed to have torn, the veil that there was no way that we could tear, that veil was torn as it's recorded in Matthew chapter 27, verses 50 to 51. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice and yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. Those last words in that verse are so important. From the top to the bottom, because it tells us who tore the veil. The veil was not torn from the bottom to the top, not from earth toward heaven. That veil was was torn from the top to the bottom, from heaven toward earth. And with that veil, with that tear of that veil, we can just picture God the Father so happy to now at last tear open the veil that separated us. And that veil was torn open because God the Father was so satisfied with the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's exactly how Isaiah put it in Isaiah 53, 1. And he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. And the separation between God and man, that it hurt God. And it took a great price to tear that separation away. And so God the Father watched carefully the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, his Son, And he was satisfied that it was enough to pay for our sins. And then he ran over, we can picture it, and he tore down that separation. And it took the death of God the Son to bring us access to God, just as it's described in Hebrews 10, 19 through 20. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. You see here in this picture, it's the flesh of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is also symbolized by the veil. And when his flesh was torn on the cross, the purpose of it all came out. We had access to God. We could go into God, not timidly, but boldly, We can enter into the presence of God, not presumptuously as fools to be destroyed by God, but no, now adopted as sons, bought by the blood of his son. We have boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way, because his flesh was torn as the veil was torn. And then we come now to the next place, the holy place. And as we emerge from the Holy of Holies through the thick veil into the holy place, we immediately see three pieces of furniture in the holy place. We see the golden lampstand or the menorah. We see the table of showbread. And we see the golden altar of incense. Each one of these speak of the Lord Jesus Christ. First, the golden lampstand, or the menorah. Here stood a solid piece of gold with one central shaft and three arms on each side, making seven places for oil containers and wicks at the end of each arm at the end of the central shaft. Each arm and the shaft was beautifully decorated, golden almond blossoms, pomegranates, lilies. That lampstand shows clearly 
that the most important part of this menorah, of this lampstand, is the central shaft. Why? Because it's from this central shaft that all the other arms are coming out of or being supported by. Without a central shaft, there could be no arms. The central shaft speaks to us of the Lord Jesus Christ as the main light. As he said in John eight twelve. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. As the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, he attracted people to come to him. He knew these people live in darkness. They yearn to live in light. And he said, I want to take them out of the darkness into the light. I am the central shaft of the lampstand. I am the main light. But the central shaft also speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ as a supporter for the other arms, which are, which are believers. They're us. He said this in John 15, 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches, he that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. As the arms were connected to that central shaft, he said that we as his followers are light. Matthew 5, 14, ye are the light of the world. He already said I am the light of the world. But now he says, you are the light of the world. Connected to him, we are the light of the world. Connected to him, we bring darkness into a a dark world. Connected to him, we help those come out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's, we can do that only connected to him. Only as the arms are connected to the central shaft. We learn all that from the lampstand in the holy place. Next, we come to the table of showbread and the showbread. Here in the holy place was a table completely overlaid with gold. Gold, as we've seen, speaks of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And on the table, 12 loaves of bread, which were changed every Sabbath day. God has made us all with a tremendous capacity for God. That's how we're created. This means that when we don't have God in our lives, we have a tremendous emptiness without God. With God, tremendous capacity filled. Without God, tremendous emptiness. Without God, we have a great big hole in our hearts. And that hole is God-shaped so that only God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, can fill and satisfy Those heart longings that we have, there's a song. It says it so well. All that I want is in Jesus. He satisfies. Joy he supplies. Life would be worthless without him. All things in Jesus I find. And that golden table of showbread that speaks to us of the Lord Jesus Christ. It speaks to us of him being the satisfier of our souls. Twelve loaves of showbread, one for each tribe, indicating 
He's sufficient for everyone, every tribe, everyone. He satisfies the deep longings of everyone, and he never runs out. The loaves were changed every week, showing how he appears to us so wonderfully fresh. We find in him something new, something wonderful, but always something satisfying, always something fulfilling to our longing soul. It speaks of him as the bread of life. The Lord Jesus Christ spoke of himself as bread when he said in John 6, 32-35, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. In that passage, he refers to himself like the manna, just as the manna was from God and was called bread from God, the Lord Jesus Christ identified himself as the true bread from God, because God the Father had sent him to man. By calling himself the bread of God, by calling himself the bread that God sent, he was emphasizing the fact that God the Father sent him as God the Son, as a special love gift from God to man. And just as that manna saved the lives of the Jewish people in the wilderness, the Lord Jesus Christ said he was the bread of life that saved man from eternal death, from hell. By calling himself the bread of life, our desperate dying state and his rescue to life is emphasized. And this emphasis is that we are dead and he is our life. So the showbread speaks to us of the Lord Jesus Christ as the satisfier of the deepest longings of the emptiness of our souls. Bread come down from heaven. Bread is a special love gift from God the Father. Bread that is our life. We see all of that. We're reminded of all of that in the table of showbread and the showbread that was in the holy place. Where does all of our soul satisfaction come from? The Lord Jesus Christ. How do we find him? In the Bible, in prayer. Does he want to satisfy our souls? Yes. How do we know? He said so in Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. And we'll sup with him and he with me. That desire of the Lord Jesus Christ to come in, to meet with each one of us privately, in friendship, in fellowship, that's expressed and reminded to us by the table of showbread in the holy place. The next furniture was a golden altar of incense. Before the veil, between the holy place and the holy of holies, was this small, tall table overlaid with pure gold, again, speaking of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. On the top of that table, a fire burned, and every morning 
the chief priest put sweet incense into that fire. And as the smoke from that incense ascended and filled the holy place with its beautiful, sweet fragrance, it spoke of prayer, the altar of incense, and the prayer to God that we make, and the prayer to God that the Lord Jesus Christ makes. Father, forgive them. Father, I've shed my blood for them. All of those prayers, like sweet incense rising. And our prayers also, being assisted by the God, the Holy Spirit, mixed with the prayer that he made for us. Father, forgive them. Father, I've shed my blood for them. And our prayers rise also with his as a sweet smell. All of that pictured and reminded to us by the golden altar of incense. It speaks of prayer. It speaks of intercession. It speaks as the smoke and the fragrance of the burning incense rose up from that altar. We're reminded the intercession that the Lord Jesus Christ makes for us. When it says in Hebrews, he ever liveth to make intercession for us. The altar covered in gold reminds us of the fact the Lord Jesus Christ was not just anyone. He was God. He is God. The blood that was sprinkled, which it was, on that golden altar of incense reminds us how the Lord Jesus Christ is our great intercessor, is arguing as a lawyer for us, his followers, that we should not be destroyed for our sins because he shed his blood for us. And it points to the sprinkled blood on that altar. And the blood speaks of his sacrifice as the basis for his intercession for us. His intercession is spoken about in the last words of that great chapter, Isaiah 53, speaking about himself, Isaiah 53, 12. He hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The great intercession That's also referred to in Hebrews 7.25. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. He ever liveth to make intercession for the ones he has saved by his blood. He ever liveth to care for them. This king is praying for us. This king is interceding for us. This king will not let anybody pluck us out of his hand. And that rising smoke and fragrance from the golden altar of incense speaks of this king that ever lives to make intercession for us. Thank God. Tom, today you talked about how the table of showbread speaks of our satisfaction with the Lord Jesus Christ. What picture does the Bible paint of an unsatisfied person? You know, there's a passage that speaks about Israel. It's a tragic passage. It's in Psalm 81, and it reads like this. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. 
But my people would not hearken to my voice, and Israel would none of me. So I gave them up into their own heart's lust, and they walked in their own counsels. Oh, that my people had hearkened unto me, and Israel had walked in my ways. I should soon have subdued their enemies and turned my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord should have submitted themselves unto him." But their time should have endured forever. He should have fed them also with the finest of the wheat and with honey out of the rock should I have satisfied thee. You know, there's a picture of a tragic situation because God said, oh, how much he wanted to satisfy Israel, the Jewish people. But it says they would none of me. You see, satisfaction comes from opening the mouth wide and saying to the one who delivered them out of Egypt, who was the Lord Jesus Christ, fill me, fill me, and God will. It's turning to the Lord Jesus Christ and then finding him to put down the enemies that they have and finding him to take what he calls the finest of wheat and to feed them. Honey out of the rock, the most unlikely place where you would ever find honey. But God says, watch me, prove me. I'll feed you with honey out of the rock. And he says, not only feed you, but satisfy you. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the Thursday, Friday message series this month on the Tabernacle. And we hope for those of you that are located near San Diego, California, that you can come out and visit the new Tabernacle exhibit at the Earth Creation and History Museum in Santee, California, that opens on Museum Day, Saturday, September 29th. There you'll be able to meet Tom Cantor, as well as Ray Comfort and other guest speakers, as we open up the new exhibit for the Tabernacle that's a light and sound display. So call us at 1-800-247-3051. And we can give you more information or details on the museum opening or the Tabernacle exhibit. Join us again next week as Tom Cantor continues our study from the Bible to help build our foundational friendship with God.